You might have noticed, but each of these messages has a title. And last week's was give or take. Today is all in or all out. And I've been thinking about this title for over a month. As many of you know, I am a Steelers fan. And there was a guy, he's been in the news a lot lately, and his name is A.B. or Antonio Brown or Mr. Big Chest, whatever he wants to go by. And this guy, if you've followed the story, he went from the Steelers, and then he went to the Raiders, and then he went to the Patriots, and now he's going to the next team, which I hear is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Because they take anybody to win, is what I hear. Um, No, 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 I'm just kidding. Come on. But A.B., when he was in Oakland, if you were following the story, when he was in Oakland, he didn't want to practice. And he had various reasons. First, it was his feet, and he didn't know how to, to freeze his feet properly. You know, everybody knows how to freeze their feet properly, right? But, uh, but then he said, I don't like the helmet that the NFL is making me wear. And so over a course of time, he only was at two or three practices during training camp. And this general manager, his name is Mike Mayock, he, he did a press conference, and it was very short. And the press conference basically went like this. He said, we got 90 guys out on the football field every day. And they're busting their tails, and they're working hard, and they're committed to, be, to creating a winning culture and a winning team. As for A.B., he said, he either needs to be all in or all out. And when it comes to being a Christ follower, each of us has to ask that question. Am I going to be all in or am I going to be all out? Because there is no middle ground. There is no halfway. And in fact, it's very interesting. When it came to the church in Laodicea, you might remember this. God said to the church, I wish you were either hot or cold. And some people get confused on that. There's like, yeah, you need to be on fire or God wants you to be against them. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying hot or cold. He's saying, I want you to be useful. I want you to be productive. I want you to make an impact on the community in which you live. Because they had hot springs and they had cold springs and they were useful to Laodicea. And he says, because you are neither hot nor cold, because you are not all in, he said, you're making me sort of want to get sick. I can't stand the lukewarmness. In fact, the word is sort of, I'm about ready to to throw up because you're not committed. You're not committed as individuals and you're not committed as a church. I want you to be all in. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what it means to be all in. And my prayer for you as a Christ follower is that you will be all in. My prayer for us as a church is that we will be all in. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and I'll put the reference up here. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And we're going to look at what it means to be fully devoted. Fully 
devoted. Acts chapter 2. And I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open it up so you can see where it's at or to find it on the phone. Put it in airplane mode so you can focus in on the text. Notice Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. Well, what do they hear? They heard that Jesus Christ had paid it all. They heard that Jesus Christ was the King of kings and Lord of lords. They heard that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried, and he was alive. And what else they heard was it was their fault. They were the ones who had crucified the Messiah. They are the ones who had crucified the Savior. And notice what it says, they were cut to the heart. You can't be all in until you're cut in the heart. But notice what he says, and he said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Trying to answer the question we've been looking at the last few weeks, what's next? What is it that God expects of us? And Peter said to them, repent. We looked at this last week. It means to change your mind, change your perspective, change your attitude, and most of all, change your behavior. But you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many wonders he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. He's talking about the community, Jerusalem. He's actually talking about the Judeans, the Jewish people. He says, it's coming crumbling down. So verse 41 says, so those who received his word, those who understood the message, those who decided... It's time to get all in on Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. They were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. There's a couple principles here you need to see when it comes to being all in. All in starts with the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit is working in your life and bringing conviction, then there's no way that you're going to be all in because you're trying to muster it up in your flesh. You need the Holy Spirit. The second truth is baptism. You see, baptism has fallen on hard times. And uh, last week we had a baptism and we had five youth or younger that were baptized. Anybody here that was baptized the other day? In the, one right there, give him a hand. <laughs> Baptism is so important. Sadly, in the church today, it's sort of become a little bit more like of an anointed get wet ceremony. You see, for all these people here, getting baptized meant they were now identifying themselves with Jesus Christ. 
Baptism is about who you're going to identify. And they are saying, Jesus Christ is going to be my Lord and my Savior. He's going to be Messiah. And I'm going to take my orders from Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this in a little bit in the disciples' calling as well. This meant that they were going to have to be all in, and they were going to have to turn their back on their family and friends who were going to stay with Judaism. So it requires a first step, and that first step is baptism. But notice this, and I'm going to continue on in the verse, and I'm going to give you, so you can see a little bit, um, what's going on here, because I want to highlight this word in verse 42. Notice in verse 42, it says, and they were fully devoted. If I could put my title in there, they were all in. Everybody was all in, all for one and one for all. They were all in. Notice what they were all in on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. And as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'll still never forget. In the early days of ministry, um, I first started out as a solo pastor, and then I went on staff, and I was a pastor of evangelism and discipleship. And during that time, I was a big believer in Acts 2, 42 through 47, so much that I actually believed that this was possible today. But I started to understand that not everybody on staff, and especially the guy leading the ship, not everybody thought that this was possible. I was referred to as a dreamer, an idealist. But one of the things I've learned about myself over the course of (laughs) my ministry and my life, I am a challenger. And I don't believe this is just an ideal picture that was good then, but we're just dreaming if we're ever thinking that's going to happen today. Because I believe the characteristics that were exhibited here in Acts chapter 2 can be the exact same characteristics that can be attributed to us. But it starts with full devotion. Being fully devoted to Jesus Christ and being fully devoted to each other. And the truth of the matter is, not everybody's all in. But when you're all in, notice what happens. Notice like in verse 44, and it says all, all who believed, all who said that they were Christ followers, all who were baptized, they had all things in common. Literally they're saying, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. And one of the reasons they thought that is because they thought the kingdom of God was coming tomorrow. 
But they also knew that becoming a Christ follower now meant that they were no longer a part of their physical family. They were now part of the spiritual family. Do you remember when Jesus was talking about his brothers and sisters, his physical family being outside? And Jesus said, those aren't my brothers and sisters. The brothers and sisters are those who are in my spiritual family who believe in me and follow me. But notice the commitment on what it means to be all in. Notice verse 46. I've got this underlined in my Bible multiple times. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their home, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about getting in the word and that you need a trigger and then you need a hunger and then you need a response and then you need a reward. You see it in this passage. They understood what it meant to be a community that was committed to each other and being all in. Who wouldn't want to be all in when everybody is all in? Now notice the reward. The reward is found in verse 47. And it said, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's a myth today. There's a myth today that a program, a pastor, a church building, um, the right setting, the right environment will allow the church to grow. But if you read the book of Acts and you read scripture, you will know the only way the church grows is by the Lord adding to their number. And it says that the Lord added to their number day by day. Do you think it was a reward for their commitment of day by day to be committed to the church? You might already be saying, Mark, this isn't practical. And I know it's not practical. From a, how are we going to get together Monday through Saturday? But your commitment to be all in throughout the week you see, one of the things I've talked about, all of us need to view ourselves as everyday missionaries. And we serve the Lord where we work, where we play, where we study, and where we live. It's an all-in commitment, and we get involved in groups. And again, we find ways to serve the school or the church, or we find ways to serve in our community. We're all in, but most of all, we're enjoying the people. And God rewards that. With day by day, he adds to their number. Here's the second picture I want to look at. It's in Acts 42, or Acts 4, verse 32. And it's about being fully engaged. So if you're in Acts chapter 2, turn over to Acts 4 and look at what it means to be fully engaged. Engaged. That means fully focused, fully energized in the same way. Now again, I'm going to highlight a word here for us so that we can see this. Notice in verse 32. Now it says that now the full number. You know, Luke, who's writing this, he wants us to know that everybody was all in. Everybody was fully engaged in the life of the church. It wasn't just a handful of people. He's saying specifically the full number. They were all in. And it says those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Again, they were all in. 
with their emotions and with their abilities and with their thoughts. They were all in. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given the testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. You see, when you're all in as a church, guess what? God's all in. And God's grace is all in on all of us. It's a powerful picture. And then verse 34 says, There was not a needy person among them, for as they were many owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Notice this, it says, Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas was known as an encourager. And the way he was an encourager was he was generous. He didn't view what he had as his own. He viewed it as an opportunity to serve the community. The message is always the same. The message that we're trying to do and that we're all in is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you notice that when it says, and with great power the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to be all in on the resurrection. When we start getting worried, when we start getting scared, I love that first song we sang, I'm going to fight my battles or how we're going to fight our battles. And when when you get overwhelmed and you feel surrounded, you got to go back to the resurrection. This morning I I sent a post to, um, or a text to my family on God is being good. It's from 1 Peter 1.3. I'd encourage you to go look at it. And it talks about because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. Our hope is alive because of the resurrection. And so we're all in on the resurrection. You know, Easter is always a great time around here. You know, people are going, he's alive. And you're like, hey, man, he's alive. He is risen. Yes, he is risen indeed. You know what? That needs to be our perspective 24-7. We need to understand that that is our message. The other day we went to Chick-fil-A. And uh, it started to rain, and the line was ridiculous. It was about 50 cars backed up, and it was still like 1.30 in the afternoon. And I was saying, I read a report on Chick-fil-A. It wasn't so much that the people are going for the chicken. They're going for the service, the hospitality, the, the way the people treat you, and they treat you as someone special, that you're not just a customer, that you're there to be served and to be honored and and to be thanked, and to be appreciated. And it was funny, and then Mason was like, yeah, they, they do that 24-6 instead of 24-7. He thought he was really smart. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but they do close at night, so it's not 24. But he got the concept. Their reputation is all week. They're all in all the time. That is what the church is meant to be, all in All the time. I'm not going to read it, but if you notice in chapter 5, 
there's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira, they look at Barnabas and they look at, wow, he's all in. Now again, this was not forced communism, so don't think that. Because the apostles say to, to Ananias and Sapphira, you could have kept that money yourselves. But Ananias and Sapphira thought that they would sell a field, keep back a portion, and then give a little bit and act like they're being Barnabas. They wanted to give the impression that they were all in, but they were not truly all in. In fact, they were all out. They weren't all in. They were partially in. Again, there's no middle ground. You're either in or you're out. And so what ended up happening is the apostles confronted Ananias first and says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Why did you lie to God? And he didn't even have a good answer, and boom, he was dead immediately. And then his wife comes back from shopping at the mall, and she's all excited, and she just got all these goodies, and boom. By the way, that's not in there. I'm just making that up. And she comes back, though, and seriously, she's asked the same question. Is this all the money you received, or are you given a false impression? And she said, this is all the money we received, and she was dead as well. We shouldn't look at that story and say, oh, wow, that's a scary story. We should look at that story and understand where it is located. We can't be lying to the Holy Spirit. We can't be given the impression that we're all in when we're not really all in. It doesn't do the reputation of the church body any good. It doesn't do the reputation of your family any good. You need to be all in. I want to go back, though, where it all started. So I want to look at this passage. So if you want to find Luke 5 to see how did this happen in the church. If you're like me, I'm always asking questions. I'm like, where did they get this all-in mentality? Where did it first start? Sadly, I, I haven't spoke on this enough. Um, I think it's a, a hallmark to understand what it means to be a disciple. And some people wonder, sometimes I speak about being a disciple, and sometimes I speak about being a Christian. A disciple is not just a learner in biblical terms. A disciple is someone who is fully devoted, fully engaged, all in, committed to following Jesus Christ. In a little bit, we'll see. You can be a believer, but not really be committed. Notice what it says in Luke 5, verse 1. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd, and I circled that in my Bible. Maybe I got that up here. It's important that the crowd, the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake at Gennesaret which is really the Sea of Galilee. They just put those big words in there so you can have trouble pronouncing them. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Verse 3 says, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, or that's Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus is in your Ford 150 now. He's out on the farm where everybody is. He's in the back of the pickup truck, and he is teaching the crowd. That's what's going on. And it says, he says to them, he says to Peter, put, 
out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night. They were all in on their business, by the way. All night and took nothing. But at your word, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who's constantly listened for the word of God. At your word, I'll let down my nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Again, when God gets involved in your life, exciting things start to happen. But you got to be willing to listen to the voice of God. Notice what he says in verse 7. They signaled to their partners, and the other boat came and helped them. And it says, And they came and filled both of the boats. So that they began to sink. I mean, this is quite a haul. And it says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And he was saying, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And also there were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were the partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Yes, God is in your midst, but do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Again, I think, yeah, I double highlighted that. I double underlined it. They left everything. They left everything. They left everyone. They left him behind and they followed Jesus. You know, when you start talking about being a disciple, one of the classic definition is you move from the crowd. Do you notice there was a crowd there? And then you move to being committed. Not everybody who was hearing Jesus' words said, yes, I want to be all in. And they said to themselves, we're going to leave behind the family business. We're going to leave behind our family. And again, most of these were probably unmarried young boys. We know that Simon Peter was married, but he still could have been 16, 17 years old, maybe not even 18 years old yet. We're going to leave behind something that was promised to us, something that we're going to inherit because we want to listen to the voice of our Lord and Savior. One of the things that makes pastoring, sometimes in a small rural town, a challenge, is the generations that exist. Sometimes it goes back four generations. I can clearly see a lot of three generations in this church. But what that makes it hard is when Jesus is calling you, sometimes it is hard to break out of that generational trap. Because to be all in sometimes means you're going to have to do things different than your brothers and sisters. You may have to do things different than your cousins. You may need to do stuff different than a co-owner, a friend you went to high school with, a friend you went to college with, maybe different than your next door neighbor. Why? Because you got to be willing to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. You know, it's very interesting, you know, I, I actually grew up on a farm. 
And, but ever since I was a young kid, you know, what I, what I wanted to be when I grew up was a landscape architect. In fact, I remember I did my eighth grade paper on being a landscape architect. When I was in sixth grade, I always tell Mason this, and he always thinks I'm lying. I had my own lawn business. And I, was, I did lawn after lawn after lawn, and I, I started doing lawns. And I wanted, I'd love to take disorder and make it look beautiful. Then I decided I was going to be an architect and forget about the landscape. And so I loved to do drafting. And all through high school, I did drafting, and I, I drew up plans for what my house was going to look like because I loved to build. And then I, I've shared with you guys before, I, I learned when I was at, at, at Dallas from my life map and my life story, there was something odd about me. I loved to go into messy garages and clean them up. And you know why? Because disorder drives me crazy. Now, if you come over to my house, guess what? My landscape, I just barely find the time to get on my mower. My garage, you're going to say, I don't believe that's true, Mark. It is a mess. But God told me something. He says, you're leaving that stuff behind, and you're going to start going in, and you're going to deal with people, you're going to deal with churches, you're going to deal with individuals, and try to help make something that sometimes is messy something that is beautiful. And it's not because of me, it's because of the Lord. Notice he says, I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to give you a new profession. I'm going to show you how to do it. It's never up to us. It's just our willingness to leave everything behind and to follow him. Here's the last picture that I want us to see. Luke 18. Luke 18. I don't know if I've ever had a chance to speak on this either, but this is a great passage. And it's a great example of someone who decided to walk away. You probably have heard the story of the rich young ruler, but uh, notice what it says. And notice here the text. And I got another word highlighted there. Notice what it says. And a ruler asked them, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. First of all, he had his theology messed up. He thought he was a good person, which again, many in the United States today, we view ourselves as good. And we also view there is something we do in order to gain eternal life. He didn't have a proper theology. He didn't have a proper understanding of who God is. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. I don't know how Jesus did not start laughing. If I was Jesus, I would say, come on, man. What are you talking about? You haven't kept all of these. But Jesus is way more gracious than me. So when Jesus heard this, he's going to dig down into his heart. He's going to pierce him. He says, one thing you still lack. You know, this is a great question to go home and, and ask your spouse or ask somebody, what is the one thing I still lack? Look in the mirror and say, what is the one thing I still lack? 
He says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. It's a powerful verse. I was talking with Danny Stevens. That's your, that was your dad's favorite verse right there. And we were talking about it in the hospital one time. What does it mean? Ultimately, it's saying that in order to be saved, in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it requires a miracle. On Friday night, our family uh, did a family movie night, and one of the movies we saw was Breakthrough. Anybody seen the movie Breakthrough? About the, the boy, John Smith, he goes under the water, and maybe I shouldn't, since nobody raised their hand, maybe I shouldn't tell you the plot of the story, but a miracle occurs. And you know what? Each one of us need to understand that our salvation is a miracle. You know, what he's saying is if you're going to trust in your riches and in your reputation, if you're going to trust in the fact that you think you're a good person, it's impossible to enter into the kingdom of God. But what is possible is if you look at God and say, God is the one who is good. God is the one who is gracious. God is the one that needs to do a miracle in my heart, then something will happen. But I love, you got to see how the rest of the story ends. And then he says in verse 27, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, Peter's smart. You remember what we just read? Peter said, see, we have left everything, our homes, and we have followed you. We, we, we've, we've seen your calling and what you're asking of us, and we've done it. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come. If you're asking yourself, why should I be all in? Why should I be all in on the church? Why should I be all in on following Christ? Is there anything that I get out of it? Uh, just eternal reward. We sang, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. But do you understand that Jesus is watching whether we're all in or we're not? And he is looking at every decision, every choice we make, and he's saying, I got your back. He's saying to the disciples, I know it was hard to leave that family business. I know it's hard to leave your family behind. I know that there's persecution and suffering awaiting you, but the reward is worth it to be all in. I just want you to see this last slide if it goes here oh. happy fingers here's the question are you all in or are you all out hopefully you see nothing on the screen that um, is anything new this has sort of been the mantra again all the way back to to the days when I served a long time ago as an associate 
In order to be all in, you need to attend, you need to serve, you need to give, you need to invite. We call it groups, we call it get in the game, we call it sit with me. And we call it give first. But if you're all out, and I got some just some figures over there, and I got some stuff on the back of your program you can look at. But across America, attendance is hurting, and they're trying to figure out who's all in. Well, at least 70% of the time to be here, that means 7 out of 10 Sundays to find yourself engaged in the bride of Christ, the church that God is building. Serve? I mean, if it's less than 100%, now you may be saying, I can't give 100%, then you're not getting what it means to be an everyday missionary. Give? I don't even know if 10% is right. God wants us to be generous, but invite? Invite somebody once per month to something, some activity? Groups at least 12 times in the life of the church to be connected with other people? I know you can't do all of this perfect, and I can't do it all perfect, but we need to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be all in? The bride of Christ, God is building his church for his glory and for his kingdom. And my prayer today was the same yesterday, and it is in the future. That we as a church, and we as Christ followers, will be all in for the glory of God.